0: Um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Hi, I'm Alex Grodnick. You're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Today we're talking tech with the founder of Google Voice, Craig Walker. Craig got a slow start. He went to business school, worked for a little while, Then went to law school, worked for a little while more, until he found his way into venture capital where things really took off for him. His story and what set him apart coming up. First, the Wall Street Oasis courses in investment banking, private equity, and hedge funds. Take a look. They're an incredible resource and maybe they'll help set you apart in your career. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Craig Walker, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for talking with us today.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So you... I've had a pretty successful career. Uh, I characterize you as an entrepreneur, um, but you've definitely worked for big tech companies. So we'll get into what the difference uh, in those types of jobs is. But let's just go back to the very beginning, graduating from college. Tell us who Craig was then and what you were trying to do.
0: Ooh, okay. So graduating from college. Uh, Spring of or summer of 1988, coming out of Berkeley, first job selling dictation equipment door-to-door in San Francisco Financial District, which was horrible. And realized then that, you know, although really good experience of hearing people say no a lot. So, you know, kind of like toughened you up a bit, um, but realized needed to needed to get into a different line of work, Um, went back to business school at Georgetown, got my MBA, came back, worked at Apple for a year, and then our whole Apple, like the group I was in, got moved to Austin, Texas. So used that opportunity to go back to law school, Um, went back to Berkeley for law school, graduated in, geez, what was that, 95, and then worked at a, uh, a big firm in Palo Alto representing Big public companies like Cisco Systems worked on all of their M&A in the late 90s and then also worked on representing startups and venture capitalists and investment bankers and basically got to see the entire kind of like Silicon Valley ecosystem and how they all kind of like interact with each other and then uh, left to go join a venture capital fund and the venture capital fund had invested in this, this 1999 company called Dialpad, which was really one of the very first revolutionary pioneers in the voiceover IP space. And, and, uh, in 2001, when kind of like the, the bubble burst and the kind of the Silicon Valley started melting down, um, my fund put me in as CEO for what was supposed to be like a three month temporary job of turning the company or selling the company. And I ended up running that company for four years and, uh, grew it to we became profitable and then in 2005 we got acquired by acquired by yahoo and and so kind of like started me on this on this entrepreneurial bent and then i left yahoo and started a company called grand central with vincent paquet who was our uh our head of product at a uh, at Dalpad. and Grand central was all about using voice over IP to put people in charge of their communications. We gave you one phone number that rang you on all your, all your devices and, and gave you all your voicemail online and control of all your features from the web. And that company got acquired by Google in 2007. And so stayed at Google and turned that into Google voice, um, launched that and grew it to about 20 million plus users. And then, um, and then left google in 2010 to go start this company which is also called dialpad we bought the name back from yahoo and really to do that really to kind of like focus on businesses and enterprises that are that are moving to the cloud and needing to enable their their modern workers to be able to work from anywhere and so really kind of like building that that traditional communication system of you know a phone system And build it around a modern mobile worker and doing everything better in enterprise voice like we're on an Uber conference right now. And that's one of our products of how do you have better conference calls? How do you do screen sharing better? How do you do better, you know, call center stuff. So basically, now our mission is all about making business communications great. And, and really using, um, using the trend of every modern business to move to the cloud for their email and their productivity suite. And once you do that, they have to have a phone system that goes with it. So there you go. The whole, the whole story in less than five minutes.
1: Uh, Craig. Okay. So there's a lot there and we're going to get into the, into how you became this communications pioneer, but let's like go back to the, to the early days here. So you graduate from undergrad actually your first job is in communications which kind of is foretelling of, of your career but you went to business school so what was the decision to go to business school and then you went to law school and not that many people i mean maybe back then it was more common but today it's pretty rare to go to go to both maybe you would do some kind of like accelerated program which probably didn't even, even exist then but where you do business school and law school but but that's not a normal path so w- walk us through that thought process
0: Yeah well it's it's not as if there was any well thought out plan. <laughs> it was it was literally, hey, I hate this sales job. I want to have more options. Therefore, I'm going to go to business school, and and that turned out to be a great experience. And you could have done them together. It was called a J.D. M.B.A., where it ends up being a four year program instead of a two year plus a three year program. Um, but you gotta you gotta kind of plan that from the get go. And I I really had no intention of going back to law school. Um, So, so there really wasn't a whole lot of uh, planning. It's funny when you look back at your life and you're like, okay, all these, all these various things kind of happened and it, it, you know, they all were good, good events, but there was no like grand plan. So, so yeah, business school was great. Learned a lot about finance and marketing and, and business concepts and then came out and came back to Cupertino and was working at Apple um, in their worldwide customer support on their major accounts. So what they used to do is they cut the country into six regions and you were responsible for a region and all the major accounts in that region. Basically you handheld and made them, you know, made them happy. And that, that was the group that then got moved to Texas. And at that point, you know, to me, I was, I was actually getting, getting pretty up there in age. I was like 26, 27. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but an opportunity, like I'd always been interested in the law and I always thought, hey, if I could, if I could combine, and, and this wasn't, I always thought, but I was thinking at the time, if I could combine a law degree and a business degree and a Berkeley undergrad, even though it would increase a ton of debt and it would you know, take three more years, it would give you a pretty good footing to do pretty much whatever you wanted to do. So, so that was the reason why I, I had an opportunity to go back to law school. I had taken the, the LSAT previously just for just for fun kind of and had done pretty well on it so so i thought i'd have a fighting chance to get into a good school and and did and just decided to go back and it was funny because i graduated like right before my 30th birthday so it's a little embarrassing when you think that your career started when you were 30 but that's legitimately how it happened
1: well that's good to hear i mean a lot of people are so it's it, i mean like you said you didn't have a, a grand plan i mean few people do or even if you do it's kind of something mike tyson says like life punches you in the face and then it's how you react so um one more thing on on, on the early career days there that that sales job you know you, you hear this from a lot of really successful people like mark cuban like starting off getting rejected 100 times a day maybe that does something for you uh in the larger picture.
0: Yeah, I, it definitely does. Like, literally, the job was, um, so back in the day, and, you know, I don't even think anyone uses it anymore, but used to have dictation devices, and so a doctor would dictate notes into this, like, tape recorder, or a lawyer would dictate, you know, case notes into this tape recorder, and then the the tape would go to the secretary, and the secretary would type up, you know, the notes, and it was, you know, it was kind of a... a Dying technology, but it hadn't died yet. By '88, there was still a lot of insurance and doctors and and stuff like that. Um, but the job was 250 Spear Street, downtown San Francisco, right in the financial district. We'd get to the office at 8 a.m. You'd wear a suit. They, you'd like, you know, get your notes together and kind of figure out where you where you were going to go for the day. And my territory was downtown San Francisco, heading down Market Street. All the way to Van Ness, so basically from Embarcadero down to Van Ness and then back on California. So it was the triangle of the financial district. And your job by nine a.m. they kicked you out of the office, and you had to go to like you know a big high rise, call it one hundred one California. Get in the elevator, hit the top floor button, go knock on every door, try to get meetings with the people in charge there, and none of them are willing to meet. You. Like it was like it was rejection all the time, and then go back to the elevator go down a floor do the entire floor and like you literally would collect business cards try to cat try to you know try to hope that maybe someone showed some interest try to have like you work on your pitch every different time like what do i say this time versus what i do last time and like you know by the end of the day you've you know knocked on 100 doors you've probably gotten 98 no's and then you go back and you send them follow-up Notes. I mean, this was hate to say it, but this was pre email. Um, you'd set your plan on ones that showed some kind of interest that you could actually follow up on or call. And then you'd do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And you literally would just do that and work through a territory. And so, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was a little bit soul crushing because it was hard to like get really fired up for like day 100 after you've had 99 days like that before. But it did teach you you know how to put up with you know how to put up with no it did teach you how you know like like I do way better selling something if I believe in it and like if I can get totally behind it and understand how it's going to help other people do better in their lives so like it really kind of taught you how to like how to get your pitch and how to get your emotional cadence and how to react to different things um And, and, you know, I hated it at the time, but looking back on it, I think it was awesome experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And after work, it probably wasn't too helpful or not too unhelpful in talking to girls, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. you could, you
0: at least knew how to talk, but usually, you know, much like hearing no quite a bit, that seemed to follow over with the girls as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So now you go to law school, you come out, you're working for a big law firm. What are you thinking now?
0: Um I loved it. You know, like a big law firm was to me like a lot of a lot of my you know fellow grads from from Bolt at Berkeley, they hated they hated being a lawyer and uh, you know you hear a lot of people, oh, I hate being a lawyer. I actually loved being a lawyer. We had the cool like and it was cool It was downtown Palo Alto. Um you know, you had all the most interesting clients, you know Kleiner Perkins, Sequoia Capital. Um, I did the Series A financing for Juniper Networks. So like, you know, you're just a first-year guy out of law school. There's three founders sitting at the table getting funded by Kleiner. And um, you look back at it and I'm like, I think all three of those guys are now billionaires, right? And it was just kind of a really interesting, interesting experience. So I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was super interesting to see. How founders and this is the great thing about being a, a lawyer representing, you know, we called it our business and technology practice. But you'd represent all parts of kind of like business and tech um, transactions. So whether it was a startup getting funded or a VC funding a startup, or a public company acquiring a company, or a public or a private company going public, or representing the bankers taking a company public, like all those things. They were all kind of like good news transactions, right? Like, hey, we're getting funded. Hey, we're getting acquired. Hey, we're going public. So it was all kind of it was all kind of super positive. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I realized like, okay, I loved it. It was great. I was good at it. But all this activity and all this excitement in the Silicon Valley, like, I always felt like I wanted to get on the other side of the table. Like, how can rather than being there to be the guy doing the legal work, how could I be the guy there? you know, working on, on, you know, strategy and starting your own company and getting funding and building something. And so that to me was kind of like the puzzle that I wanted to crack of how do you get to the other side of the table?
1: Right. This is a very common question for lawyers, investment bankers, whatever. Everyone wants to get to the company side, to the buy side, placing bets, putting chips down and like being on the, on that side of the table.
0: Exactly, exactly. And the way I looked at it was like, I kind of looked at the hierarchy or progression was, okay, you're a lawyer. The next step up or the next logical step was if you want to keep like kind of like moving closer to the nirvana of becoming a founder was maybe leave the law and go be an investment banker for a while, you know, leave and go to a, go to a banking firm. You see see transactions from a little different side. Um, etc. And maybe from there, you can go to a, become a venture capitalist from there, you know, maybe you leave and go start your own company. So, so what I did is I started interviewing for jobs at investment banks. And I got an offer from Piper Jaffrey and I was going to go join them as a tech banker. And as I was telling my clients that I was leaving the law firm, one of them was a new client who had just started raising a venture fund. And he's like, hey, don't go there. Come join me. I'm just starting this fund. It'd be great, you know, if you joined us. So, so I turned down the the Piper offer and went to go to Telesoft Partners, which turned out to be a great move because 1998 was an awesome time to be making investments in telecom and internet technologies. And so we looked like geniuses. I think out of our first six. Investments like four of them got acquired and one went public like it was just like, you know, everyone was killing it back then Um, So that that helped me kind of like jump up jump up the ladder and then from our venture fund I ended up like when when the world almost came to an end in 2001 They were they put me in to go run one of our portfolio companies that was That showed a lot of promise but had fallen on hard times and I don't think you would have gotten that opportunity had you not been, you know, that far or that close to the company or working at a venture fund. So that that was really my break to get on the other side of the table.
1: Right. So now you're running a business, you're immersed in the communications industry. I mean, from this point on, it's like, all right, I'm gonna be only CEOs from here on out, right?
0: Well, <laughs> well, it it kind of depended on whether or not we were going to be successful with that first company, and it was, it was like a near death experience. Like the company had raised sixty five million dollars from from investors, had something like had spent nearly eighty million dollars, so had a ton of debt, um, had a huge burn, um, had basically had a free product they were, they were trying to, they were trying to give away phone calls and calls to the U S in exchange for people looking at banner ads, which, which made no sense. And so, so like, I'd say in the, if you're going to start your first job as a CEO, like, like literally in my first week, I had to lay off 135 people. Like there were 150 employees when I started and like by the next pay cycle, there were 15. And so, but out of those 15, most of them still were, with me today here at uh here at dial two let's call it um but like but it was one of those things where it's like look you get from from the negative side you could say this sucks this is my first and probably my last ceo job because this is an impossible position we're going to be in and like to save this company is going to be a near miracle or the way i looked at it was hey this is great like no one's going to blame me if this fails. It's like operating on a corpse. It's like, okay, you know, like the worst thing it can do is die and it's already dead. So if somehow or another you're able to reanimate it and bring it back to life, you're kind of a hero. So we were, we kind of like took the approach of like, like let's let's be as scrappy as we can. Let's do everything on the planet we can to keep this company alive. Let's get rid of the free product. Let's get rid of the ad-based revenue let's just charge a small amount for every minute and that seemed to work and you know and it was still a time where where phone calls cost a lot of money so if you could save people you know 99 percent on their calls they were happy to pay you a couple pennies so so we did that and we were able to build it into a profitable business model and hire back a bunch of people and and really kind of like get off to the races
1: and so what was it that you saw there that you know, set you up for your next opportunity, you saw some gap in the market, you were able to do something, turn around a company and you said, Oh, I can, I have a skill set doing this. I can do this again. I think there's something interesting in the voiceover IP business. Yeah, that's,
0: that's exactly right. It's like, look, we've, we've been through the worst possible experience of four years of like literally keeping things together with a handful of people. Like, you know, like I was our general counsel, I was our CFO, you know, like, Vincent was head of marketing and business development and product. You know, like it was just a scrappy, scrappy team. Um, but by the time you know we got acquired by Yahoo, we were like, hey, look, we we did this and we did that for four years with virtually zero funding, total fumes, and we made it happen. And so then we said, okay, so let's leave Yahoo. Let's go do something. Let's do it again and let's start from scratch. And Voice of IP at the time had always been about. You know, like cheap calls or free calls. And we said, look, cheap and free is one thing, but how do we get, how do we make it more interesting? Like, how do we use it for features? And at the time, at the time, most people had a home phone number they had a cell phone number, they had a work phone number. Um, it was before number portability. So if you change cell providers, your phone number would change. Or if you moved, your house number would change. Or if you change jobs, your work number would change. And we said, this is crazy. You should just have one number for Craig. You know, I should have my personal number that will never change. And if you're trying to reach me, it's gonna ring you wherever I tell it to, right? So, So that was the idea behind Grand Central. And it was all about how do we how do we give you our tagline was one number for life how do we give you one number that no matter where you live no matter where you work no matter what cell provider you have people can get a hold of you and then you're in control do you want to answer it or not everything's moved to the web so you have un, every voicemail saved forever we transcribe them to text you can block people you don't want to talk to anymore you can do all sorts of different stuff and that was that was kind of like the idea behind it and so so and it was almost the entire opposite of the dialpad one experience because we raised a series A funding at the beginning of January 2016 never needed to raise another penny and were acquired by Google 18 months later and it was just like okay so if if dialpad one was this like you know this this baton death march the the grand Central experience was like the complete opposite just 18 months of of you know of execution and then nice exit.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it was that first opportunity that set you up to do that in 18 months. I mean, no, there's no way you would do that without without the first one.
0: Yeah, no. No one No one would have funded us to do it. We would have had no credibility to do it. We wouldn't have been able to hire the right guys to build it. We wouldn't even have known what we were talking about. So yeah, that, that first experience basically made it possible.
1: Right. So up until this point, you've been working as a lawyer, as a venture capitalist. Now you turn around this company, but- now you have your first like big win, right? You sold the company to Google. Are you a rich man now?
0: Um, You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a question I don't really think about much, but yeah, like there was, there were resources that I didn't worry about my kids going to college and stuff. But, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I had three kids and, you know, I was still in my forties and, and wasn't ready to retire. So, so, it wasn't like I was just going to go sit on a beach.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm not, I'm I'm not implying that, but like, you're not, you don't have to worry about, right. You didn't have to worry about sending your kids to college now. So maybe that takes a little pressure off and you're like, all right, what, what, what is it that I want to do? What's my skill set? I like communications. So you stayed at Google for a little while. Like what was that?
0: Yeah. So, so stayed at Google for three years, um, relaunched grand central as Google voice and, and kind of built it into a good product. Um, and, and was what we saw kind of like from that time period, 2007 to 2010 is we saw that there was, there were businesses moving to using Google for their email and for their documents and for their calendar. And so what we realized is, Hey, if, if businesses are doing that, if they're moving to the cloud and there's tons of benefits to it, right? You don't need an IT staff to maintain it on premise. You can use any computer anywhere in the world. You can collaborate and work anytime with anyone. And so what we realized is if that's happening in the email world and in the documents of the calendar world, that has to happen in the phone system world too, because to like enable your employees to be free to work from anywhere on any device, except for phone calls, you have to come into the office to use your desk phone was just crazy to us so so what we really wanted to do was build google voice you know for enterprise and build google voice for these modern businesses and and sadly at the time like 2010 google was obsessed with with Facebook and like pulled all these resources into working on this Google plus social network initiative that, you know, that really turned out to be a giant distraction. And so we ended up saying, look, let's leave Google. Let's go focus on this and let's focus on making the world's best kind of like modern communication system for a modern business. And we'll make it integrate really well with Google G Suite and then Microsoft came out with Office 365 and we'll make it really work really well with them. And Google was very supportive. Like Google Ventures funded our Series A and my co-founders and I all came from the Google Voice team. And having that kind of like support and backing and letting us just fully focus on this problem of modern business communications, you know, allowed us to accomplish a lot in a short amount of time with a pretty small team so like fast forward to today and you know, we now have a, this uber conference product we now have our dial pad product we're launching more products very soon that that are going to do other stuff so so it's been a it's been a wonderful i mean it's been like a great experience and it wouldn't have happened if google wasn't so supportive of it at the time
1: yeah that's i mean that's just the google being really progressive thinking i mean most companies would not think like that They would say, you stay here, or we're going to be your enemy, not, yeah, go off and do something cool, and we'll give you money to do that. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So what's your challenge today? I mean, I, I imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast, they work for big companies. They have regular desk phones. Your product, this soft phone, able to talk on computer, on mobile, whatever, it's clearly a better product, but you're fighting like incumbent Big company players—is that like the main issue you face today?
0: Yeah, so so we've won some really big deals. So like Motorola is a big a big win. You know, twenty thousand customers worldwide, and they had this legacy old you know desk phone system, and we've been able to remove at least ten thousand desk phones of theirs. um So so, but but it's an interesting like when we started this, geez, go back five years, you'd talk to a CIO at a big company. And they'd be saying, they'd talk about, oh, I don't know if I could ever trust the cloud for my communications. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You have those same conversations today. Every single CIOs, their mandate in job is to move their company to the cloud. Like it's no longer an if it's a when. And literally if you're a CIO and you're not thinking about moving your company to the cloud, like you legitimately are going to be out of a job. Like the cost savings are so great, the productivity improvements are so great, and you know I don't think anyone. I mean, like I've we've done ten thousand you know studies on this, but no people do not understand and appreciate the PBX desk phone sitting on their desk. Like it's complicated. It's got all these crazy buttons. It costs it an arm and a leg to maintain it. And people, unless they're in a regulated industry where they have to, most employees are pulling the cell phone out of their pocket. That they brought from home to make calls and to text and to do the things they want to do. So our view was, look, everyone has now, like with the new, you know, the new uh, Pixel Two and the iPhone's latest, like employees are bringing a thousand-dollar phone to work themselves, <laughs> costing you nothing, Mister, you know, CIO. All you have to do is make it work for your business, and if and one of the things we wanted to do is say okay look let's make it work perfectly on the mobile phone let's make it work perfectly on a tablet let's make it work per- perfectly on a laptop oh and by the way if you still want a desk phone too we'll ring that as well it really doesn't matter to us but but at the end of the day you should be in control and the user should be able to use whatever they want from wherever they want and that's that's really what we're we're all about is is like you know just let the people who want to go be productive and are just trying to do a good job. Let me use whatever tool they want to do that.
1: Right. And that value proposition is very compelling. When I worked in banking, I think I almost got fired many times for how many calls I dropped. I hung up on people while trying to transfer them. Those phones were so compli- so complicated. Um, so walk us through how your product works today how someone who's got an entrepreneurial startup, they've got four people, how they could use your product.
0: Yeah, so the good news is for, for small businesses, we're launching Dialpad free. So for up to five people in your company, we'll give you a free business phone system. And, and right now we're testing it. We just did a beta launch in uh, in San Francisco. So right, go add your name to the wait list at dialpad.com. But if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area or have a business there, come sign up and you get a you get a business phone number or you can port over your existing business phone number you get a full kind of like business auto attendant so when someone calls it it's you know you can set it up however you want but it'd be like you know you've reached Craig's landscaping service for Craig press 1 for billing press 2 for you know for directions press 3 whatever you want and these are you know those it's the full same business phone system that is supporting Motorola and Uber and WeWork and Stripe and Domo and all these great companies, um, totally for free for a small business. And if you're more than five people, then you know our rates or our plans start at fifteen dollars a month per user, um, and it just kind of goes up from there. But it's uh, it's it makes use of of any mobile device. If you have Android or iPhone, it makes use of any computer platform. If you have Windows, Mac, even a Chromebook, and it also runs perfectly on an iPad as well. And if you want want to use a desk phone, great, we'll even sell them to you. But end of the day, we think, and we've seen the data, only about 20% of our users have a desk phone. So about 80% are using all mobile and all kind of like uh, IP communications.
1: Yeah. So where's this, where's this going? In in five years, no one's going to have a desk phone anymore.
0: Yeah. Five years, no one
1: should have a desk phone
0: <laughs> anymore. Like literally think about a desk phone. It's, pow- it's powered by, you know, like some server in the back. It costs hundreds to thousands of dollars. No one knows how to use it. It sits there collecting dust on your desk. It takes up valuable space on your desk. And you can call anyone in America with like a traditional desk phone and asked to be transferred to a coworker I guarantee you more than half the time you're going to get hung up on like like the guy will try but he's going to fail in his effort to do even the most basic stuff so yeah I don't I don't see that being a uh, a long term play
1: what about video do you think that's going to become more common for like an office call are you going to be seeing someone's face or is it still going to be
0: Totally. So video, which is why we love, you know, and this is the crazy thing about desk phones. Like you look at these newer, high-end desk phones and they add video to it, which is so stupid because they have like a three inch screen and it's, and it's, you know, like it's, you have only the keys on the desk phone to use. Whereas yours, it usually is sitting next to this amazing, like high def monitor on your, of your computer screen. And if you're going to do a video call, if you're going to do a phone call, I mean, use the beautiful interface, of the computer screen that's made for this, but I do like so we we support uh, every Dialpad account has has free video calling in it. So Dialpad to Dialpad users, you can video call all day long, um, and video is video is kind of the future. I mean, it's the future for where you have good connectivity, and then the PSTN or basically just the traditional phone call, that's never going away. You know, sales customers calling a company, they're not gonna do that over video, at least not in the short term. So so phone calls are still hugely important.
1: Right. That makes that makes sense. So Craig, the story is fantastic, really fun to listen to. I usually let the guests kind of leave some advice at the end you know people listening to this podcast they're trying to find their paths they're working for jobs they're deciding should I be an entrepreneur should I go work for a big company you know tell us your view of the world and and kind of what you would do if, if you were young starting out today
0: yeah, you know, that that used to always vex me. Like, I'd always sit there and be like, okay, how do I become an entrepreneur? Like, what ideas do I have? And and I never, like, I kind of felt this obligation to come up with the world's best unique idea. Um, and then, then you know, frankly, I, I wasn't a, a telephony guy, really. I didn't understand modern communications. I didn't understand voice over IP. But I kind of fell into it through, you know, through an investment that our, our fund had made and what i realized is you don't need to like the idea part is only part of it like being an entrepreneur like there, frankly there's not an idea you're going to come up with that if it's a good idea no one else has thought of like it just doesn't exist I mean, everyone's <laughs> thought of the idea before but your ability to execute on it is really you know, what separates you and frank and you know like me not being an engineer like I truly cannot execute on anything on my own. Like you got to have good people with you who who can. So I'd say finding finding the the people who complement you and getting just start if you're if you want to be an entrepreneur I'd say start working on prototype and getting something built is the best way because unless if you don't have a track record and you don't have kind of credibility to go raise money because you've done it before the way you get credibility is by actually building something that people kind of like and being able to show that and being able to iterate on that you have a real chance but trying to raise money off just an idea and just a powerpoint presentation and and no you know no team no prototype no product and no no track record is really really hard so i'd say if you're if you're if you're that's the way you want to go you got to get got to got to build some minimum viable product to be able to have some credibility.
1: Right. And I think that's great advice. I see it today. I'm part of a startup and we're building a peer to peer payments business. And yeah, we see that. Well, you know, 15 years ago, it was cool just to invent something, have an idea. And maybe that was good enough to raise money. But today you need to have not just an idea, not just a business plan. You have to build the product, actually take it to market get data show that people like this product and then maybe people will talk to you and you can get into an accelerator at that point but yeah the everything is kind of moved upstream
0: yeah yeah and it's just harder i mean there's because like the the way it is now like you know using using amazon or google cloud or azure like you don't need to go invest a lot in infrastructure like anyone in a dorm room with a keyboard can come up with an idea and like you know you don't pay anything unless it starts you know like starts getting used quite a bit so so the the barrier to entry is so much lower that you know that just having ideas is not not nearly enough you actually have to you have to show something
1: right and so now they're in the dorm room and they've got a great communications product from your phone so that's all they need right that's all they need come sign up it's free yeah. all right craig this was great thanks so much for doing this
0: yeah, you got it. Thanks, Alex. And I, and I love that you're using Uber Conference. This sounded fantastic.
1: Yeah, me too. Thanks for building this. So much better than Skype.
0: <laughs> you got it, man. All right. Thanks again.
1: All right. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. In the meantime, check out the career guides on wallstreetoasis.com.